0: Each man is at every moment subjected to several different sets of law, but there is only one of these which he is free to disobey. As a body, he is subjected to gravitation and cannot disobey it. If you leave him unsupported in midair, he has no more choice about falling than a stone has. As an organism, he is subjected to various biological laws which he cannot disobey any more than an animal can. That is, he cannot disobey those laws which he shares with other things, But the law which is peculiar to his human nature, the law he does not share with animals or vegetables or inorganic things, is the one he can disobey if he chooses. This law was called the law of nature because people thought that everyone knew it by nature and did not need to be taught it. They did not mean, of course, that you might not find an odd individual here and there who did not know it, just as you find a few people who are colorblind or have no ear for a tune. But taking the race as a whole, they thought that the human idea of decent behavior was obvious to everyone. And I believe they were right. If they were not, then all the things we said about the war were nonsense. What was the sense in saying the enemy were in the wrong unless right is a real thing which the Nazis at bottom knew as well as we did and ought to have practiced? If they had no notion of what we mean by right, then, though we might still have had to fight them, we could no more have blamed them for that than for the color of their hair. This is For His Namesake. Hey there, welcome to For His Namesake. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the stratagem of Satan, divide and conquer, sort of uh, tactical... Um, Uh, ways that Satan has sort of infiltrated America has infiltrated families infiltrated uh, the schooling system and so forth Um, in this episode um, I'd like to talk about how unfortunately he's been really really um, prosperous uh, in the area of uh, divide-and-conquer in morality and um, not only through the critical theory Uh, from guys uh, such as um, uh, Antonio Gromsky through uh, the Frankfurt School and such, but also through other things that he's done through the church, uh, where he's done it through families and uh, the education system as well as the law. And um, really, you know, it's really not hard to see uh, the implications of this um, in a lot of different areas. But here's the thing: as Christians, we're not surprised by this. This isn't anything that we shouldn't expect. Scripture has already told us this is what it would be like in the end times. But what's interesting to me is that also this isn't really necessarily the first time we have seen this. Obviously, uh, Rome imploded on itself, not because uh, it wasn't a mighty uh, a mighty army, or that they didn't have a, a um, you know the most. Uh, advanced technological aspects of any civilization, but that rather they completely took themselves out because of a loss of morality, because of corruption, because of bread and circuses, today we call socialism, uh, and a lot of other various areas to which they basically uh, cut off their nose to spite their face. Today, we kind of see the same thing in a lot of various areas. But what I would like to introduce to you, uh, fair listener, is the idea that some of us are complicit in allowing this to happen. You see, as Christians, we believe in absolutes, and therefore we have a epistemology that we can direct back towards the Word of God as the final authority in our life. And unfortunately, Satan has been attacking the Word of God since Genesis 3, did God really say? When he came uh, uh, to offer Adam and Eve a new way uh, to live Um, and so this revisionistic mentality uh, has sort of introduced itself uh, once again since Adam and Eve so the point being is it's not anything new now through other various cultures you know we can move on and say Well, yeah, but not every culture had the Word of God, Chris. I mean, not everybody knew. Well, that's true and not true. Romans 1 makes it clear that, first of all, everyone knows God exists, okay? But they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Well, how do they do that? They have a conscience, a God-given conscience. Um, Now, mind you, we're all born into sin. We're all born fallen. Obviously, the Word of God makes that clear in various areas, and that we all need Jesus. The law is a schoolmaster that leads us to Jesus, so... Satan, being, I wouldn't necessarily say smart, but uh, crafty, has found other ways uh, to sort of introduce varying um, allusions to sophistry, you might say, Uh, varying um, philosophies and ideas throughout history to which has sort of decapitated the Christian influence in education as well as morality in a lot of other areas, uh, you know, you might say it was the uh, originally the French Enlightenment uh, brought us um, classical atheism and uh, uh, agnosticism in a lot of other areas. That it brought us uh, Rousseau and existentialism and postmodernism and a lot of these other kinds of things, and that would be true, which is basically all of it amounts to eat and drink tonight, for tomorrow we die. The word of God has made it very clear um, where those uh, where that kind of thinking ends up. Now, mind you, as Christians, you know, born-again Christians, we should not be falling for such foolish uh, philosophies of men. And that rather, because we hold to absolutes, uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not... Um, 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 uh, uh, steal, thou shalt not, uh, and so forth, the Ten Commandments. That we know these uh, commandments as absolutes, mind you, right? And societies built upon these absolutes are, can do nothing but prosper. And the Word of God basically promises that, that if any person, let alone a culture, builds their... Um, colonnades, if you will, if they build their foundations on the truths of the Bible, the truths of the Word of God, and build, most importantly, their education education system and their laws built upon the principles of the Word of God, right? Sort of like we had originally in America, where we had one side built upon the colonnade of the Greeks and philosophy and, and, and things of this such, right? And then we had on the other side, Jerusalem, and we had the Word of God and Moses and the foundation. Uh, the Pentateuch, and we have, of course, the the New Testament as well, right? And we built the foundation of America originally uh, on these concepts and precepts. But because Satan has brought in critical theory, because Satan has brought in all of this other um, satanic agenda, uh, even Christians, or so-called Christians, uh, the the weeds uh, sown among the seeds, if you will, Have sort of brought in a divide and conquer sort of mentality now what's interesting is any given time during the day you can go to any news um, uh, thing on Facebook right if it's ABC NBC um, CBS if it's Fox whatever the case okay and you can look at the comment section on Facebook and you will see just people outright attacking each other I mean just getting downright nasty there's absolutely no um, 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 uh, shall we say niceties there's no um, really just no manners in general there's just zero um, um, give-and-take back and forth there's no intelligent dialogue it is absolutely nothing more than basically mudsling 101 um, and and look, in politics, you know, that's kind of par for the course, that's not anything new necessarily, but within uh, society, in the fabric of society, that is the first sign, or one of many signs anyway, that society is tearing at it seems We can't even meet in the public court and have um, basic conversations on what is true. Uh, we've really kind of lost sight of not only what's true, but what's important. Now, mind you, as Christians, truth is in Christ, period. God sets the agenda on what is true and what isn't. um, Because he's God. It's just that simple. Um, When we look at truth as a whole, what society ends up, a lot of times, coming to uh, is a kind of interesting um, parallel. Uh, And what I mean by that is, uh, situational ethics. So what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me, or what we would call relativism. And this has been introduced into American society since probably give or take I would say about around the 1940s, late 40s or so, just after World War II, where critical theory started get, getting introduced into our education system. Now this isn't a mystery, this isn't anything new. If you guys want more information on that, there's plenty of much better uh, commentators on this subject than myself. Dinesh D'Souza is one. He's written a lot about it. Uh, of course, you have, um, oh, uh, what's his name? Um, he was a senator or governor. Uh, he has a YouTube channel as well. I'll think of his name later. I'm always thinking, I'm always forgetting. Curtis Bowers, that's what it is. Curtis Bowers has a great YouTube channel as well on Marxism and all the stuff that uh, has um, come because of that so I would recommend uh, checking out Curtis Bowers YouTube as well but uh, anyway um, all of this critical theory has began to or begun rather to erode uh, our Christian foundations now mind you you can't take something from those who are not willing to give it up to some degree or another so here's my contention the church has walked away, unfortunately, from its foundations and has tried to identify so much with the world that we've forgotten uh, where our strengths are and and the weaknesses that were once our strengths on some level have now become um, just completely immersed in the world. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. See, our strengths as Christians... <clears throat> Our strength as Christians, rather, has always been in the foundation of the Word of God. And what I mean by that is because you understand a society to which holds to uh, what I expressed in the beginning of this uh, podcast episode, to natural law, which was generally understood in American society as things that were basically agreed upon, almost what we would call today unspoken um unspoken laws right unspoken agreements in other words you didn't even have to say homosexuality was was wrong or that um um uh, stealing was wrong or that burning people's homes down was wrong or that murdering a baby in the womb was wrong or a lot of these other things today that we just as christians even disgusting and sad as it is just completely overlook and don't even We have to defend them now, where these used to be truths, right, that weren't even uh, disputed at one point, right? But because we've been uh, giving away so much ground in the church by walking away from the Word of God and the authority of the Word of God, we've basically become um, nothing more than social commentators, on why we think the world should believe what we believe without giving them any reason to, right? So in other words, you know, give your life to Jesus, and he'll give you everything you want, you know, money, fame, uh, this, that, and the other, instead of saying, walk with Jesus, come hell or high water, and your one uh, reward is not on this earth, but in heaven, right? And living with a a diehard attitude of, come hell or high water, I'm going to serve Jesus Christ, And now it's more like, well, I'll serve Jesus as long as I get what I want, as long as as, is the word, the the God, the basically God serves me instead of I serve, I serve God, and this selfish sort of self-centered mentality uh, is of the world. It's not of God, and it's come in as a sort of divide and conquer ethic as well. I mean, let's look at something very interesting. A very interesting quote, rather, that we get from uh, the late, great Paul Harvey, right? And he said this, If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect To discipline emotions just let those run wild until before you knew it you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door within a decade I'd have prisons overflowing I'd have judges promoting pornography soon I could evict God from the courthouse then from the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress and in his own churches I would substitute psychology Religion and defy science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I would caution against extremes and hard work and patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on the TV is the way to be, and thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil... I'd just keep right on doing what he's been doing. That's Paul Harvey, folks. Paul Harvey wrote that. I want to say, I think it was the 1960s. Think about that. What a prophetic, prophetic point he was making. He'd have families at war with with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. Think about that, folks. You can't look at a Facebook comment section at this point. You cannot look at anything on Facebook really at this point that doesn't have some form of divide and conquer essentially at play. And that's what I'm saying, folks. Satan has completely um, gotten rid of absolutes in American society. He's gotten rid of the natural law. Things that we once agreed on are no longer agreed on. And this is what's going on, folks satan is what's behind all of this do you I, 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 ephesians 6 makes that clear second corinthians 10 5 makes that clear uh that satan is the one who is behind this now let's look at another passage of well let's look at a passage of scripture that will give us a little bit of idea uh, of what's going on as well but know this that in the last days this is second timothy 3 but know this that That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, right? Remember what we mean by pleasure here, right? Eat and drink tonight for tomorrow we die. Rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from? What are you to do, Christian? From such people? Turn away. For this is the sort of those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lust, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambers resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all." As theirs also was. Now, folks, listen to that very carefully. This is the kind of times that we're going to be living in, right? I mean, I don't think it gets much clearer than that. But just for a little bit more clarity, we'll go ahead and look at Matthew 24. That when Jesus was asked what it's going to look like when he was to return, Jesus says to them, do you not see all these things? As Surely I say to you that not one stone. Now, of course, he's talking about here in Matthew 24, verse 2, talking about uh, Jerusalem and that how uh, Rome would be completely destroyed. The temple itself would rather be destroyed, right? Which we know happened in, uh, I believe, 70 AD. But he goes on to explain also that they would not be deceived. For many would come in his name and would deceive many. And then also, in verse 6, it goes on to say, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Like, oh, I don't know, China, Iran, Russia... All that's going on with them right now, perhaps. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. So, Christian, you're not to to fear this, right? That you're not troubled by it. Why? Because for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, which we know as ethnos against ethnos, or race against race. And kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Which we've been seeing lately, Right. Uh, in various places, quite big ones in fact, uh, everywhere from the Oregon coast to California. Uh, I think Indonesia had a pretty good sized one not too long ago. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all ethnos nations. For who? For Jesus' name's sake, right? Just like in the name of this podcast. And then many will be offended, right? Remember that? Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another, right? How much offense is going on, right? How many people are offended at this point? They're offended at your offense. Uh, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. How loveless has society become, dear listener? Think about that. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the ethnos nations. And then the end will come. Now, I'm pre-trib, mind you, so I'm not making this necessarily an eschatological point. uh, Except that it is definitely what I would say is the birth pangs. We are seeing in America bits and pieces of the birth pangs. I don't think there's any denying that. But the relevance concerning the times at which we live in. The divide and conquer mentality is definitely going on. And we can see this uh, as a picture from someone who very very well understood stratagem. And I believe if you want to understand even a little bit from the way kind of like reading uh, reading, uh, screw tape letters can kind of direct you in how the enemy may be thinking. Uh, as far as spiritual warfare goes on, uh, even a national level, even though really more, uh, screw tapes is more of course on a, uh, a, uh, uh individual level. Nonetheless, uh, you can kind of get a corporate picture of it as well, uh, as the Christian with, uh, when Satan is tempting or when Satan is, um, um, implementing things in your life and so forth. But uh, also from a national level, Sung Soo gives us a, a very good picture as well, I think. Especially since we know our enemy, the Chinese uh, Communist Party, who absolutely hates us indefinitely, I guarantee you, ascribes to Sung Soo type thinking for sure. But Sung Tzu said this, to conquer the enemy without resorting to war is the most desirable. The highest form of generalship is to conquer the enemy by strategy. In other words, folks, the best war you ever fought was the war you never fought. Think about it. If you got to send a bunch of people to war to go die, physically go die, you kill off a bunch of your own people to win a war, that's not a very good war. Why? Because you had to give up more than the other side. That's basically what war used to be fought like, right? uh, Who's got enough people basically to outlast the other uh, people, putting in their people to die for their country and and their beliefs or whatever the case, right? Sung Su's point is well taken. He says, why even do that? Why not just use strategy? Why not rather, like, uh, uh, unfortunately, America, because of critical theory, why not have them at war with one another? Why not have them destroy each other? See, China's not afraid of America. They're afraid of a unified America. See, and that's what the natural law once did, folks. And because we've lost the natural law, you see, these, these moral beliefs, that which we all held uh, sacred and were once unspoken, are thrown to the wayside now. And the reason for this, folks, is because the church, unfortunately, and pretty much most of America, has thrown away God. They've walked away from God, and this is something Nietzsche talked about, right? The death of God, basically, and he essentially talks about a madman running into the um, into the uh, the public space, yelling and, and screaming bloody murder about how they have killed God, how society has killed God. Who would attend his funeral? Who would who would bring God back? What? How can we bring him back? And that basically, in a sense once again, touching a little bit of the truth, that he made a point, whether he realized it or not at the time, that to do away with God was the worst possible thing a society could do, even though himself was, a, was, a, uh, um, was a, uh, an atheist, a very outspoken atheist at that, but yet still, uh, much like um, Penn and Teller, uh, Penn even understands, um, or excuse me, Penn or Teller, one of the two, I think it's Penn, understands that uh, there's inconsistencies, even within Christendom, such as uh, evangelism, that he brings up and says, look, if you really believe these things, why wouldn't you tell me the gospel if you really believe this, right? And he sees the inconsistencies. Well, even within Nietzsche's point of view, at least in this poem that he wrote, talking about the madman, as it were, and the death of God, uh, of course, we get, it's where we get our movie and the point, God's not dead. Um, but the point is, anyway... Uh, that even Nietzsche could see that society couldn't survive without God or at least the absolutes to which god the natural law God brought to the uh, brought to society and gives to any society to which believes in him now here's the point, folks: a country cannot and will not survive on relativistic ethics and and moralism. We will not survive on a moral um a loss of morality. No country can survive that because it eventually will implode on itself. It's inevitable. And this is the thing that, if you'll allow me to sort of introduce the the biggest point here, this is exactly what Satan is doing. It's divide and conquer. Unification at the cost of truth is not peace, but hypocrisy dear christian if you're not giving the gospel to your neighbor if you're not um holding fast to the word of god as the final authority in your life if you're not telling others why the word of god can be relied upon and will not fail and living that out by loving the word of god by loving the word made flesh who dwelt amongst us by loving jesus and obeying him because you love him Showing others that love and and giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ you dear listener dear Christian Are the reason society has become the way it is and I know it's a tough pill to swallow but quite honestly folks anytime America has had revival two things had to happen people had to begin to pray Because they were in desperate times to the point where they knew that unless God saved the country, it was pretty much done for, right? Like I gave my podcast on revival or death um, so many podcasts ago. You can listen to that as well on For His Namesake podcast. That They also knew that we had to get back to prayer. And they also knew we had to get back to the Word of God as the final authority. That we had to reintroduce these absolutes. You see, folks, when people are born again... They're not just brought into a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, although that's the most important part, is your relationship with Jesus, but you also are saved from the relativistic morality of those around you, those who live in situational ethics, that no longer are you the final authority in your life, but that the Word of God is. And in humility, there is safety. And humility, folks, is what? Is just confidence properly placed. Your confidence is no longer in, in, in your flesh to decide what's good for you, but that rather the word of God is the final authority and decides what is good for you. And that allowing uh, your confidence to be in that rather than your flesh. In other words, the world essentially wants to chase pleasure. It wants to chase whatever it thinks is good for it in the moment or existentialism. Right? Once again, eat and drink tonight for tomorrow we die. And these pleasures are what are actually killing them, you understand? These pleasures for which they think are are the the end and beginning of their life, that these things will make them happy. But you see folks, they'll never be satisfied. They don't have the artesian well of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them to which constantly overflows with the love of God, constantly overflows with the satisfaction that Jesus Christ alone can give. And folks, because we've not been faithful as a church to tell people this, they've done what? They've chased these pleasures to which now have become the gods of their life. And these idols, just like in the Old Testament, are now outnumbering these false gods, these demons, demanoi, shadim, are outnumbering the Christian church and are even in the Christian church. You see, folks, we don't have necessarily even just uh, uh, a wolf in the hen house, if you will, kind of situation, folks, where we have false teachings and all the other stuff going on as well. Right. Your best life now and all the other uh, name it, blame it. (laughs) Oh, what is it? It's a. blab it, grab it, name it, claim it kind of garbage theology, right? Which all comes from Essex W. Kenyon as well. Of course, by the way, another false teacher, which is where we get to Joel Steens and and the uh, all the other various false teachers and so forth. But rather, um, the fact is that we get a lot of this this mentality, this teaching, uh, into the church, even in subtleties through Bible-believing and teaching churches as well, you know? um It won't come in something to the effect of, like, um, you know, they'll teach the Word of God pretty well up into a point where they'll say, well, whether or not Jesus wants you to suffer, you know. Look, there's times in our life, folks, that that we have to remember meaninglessness does not come from growing weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from growing weary of pleasure. You understand? That's a G.K. Chesterton said that. And that, folks, that meaninglessness... (sighs) When you become weary of pleasure, take it from somebody who was an existentialist for many years, you get tired where you can only have so much caffeine. You can only have so much beer. You can only have so much nicotine. Only so many pharmakia, so many drugs. To where you get to the point where they literally don't even do anything anymore. You're just basically now where something you were the arbiter and the master of it has now mastered you to where you have to have it And the payoff isn't even what it used to be, right? That's the hallmark of you having an idol in your life, by the way. Because it takes you further than you want to go, makes you pay more than you want to pay, and makes you stay longer than you want to stay. And that's sin. Also, as uh, Samantha, I think it's Samantha Wesley put it, she said, anything in your life, no matter how good it seems in itself, takes you away from Jesus. No matter how good it is in itself, that thing is sin to you, and it needs to be cut off. Now, this is what I'm saying, folks. The church. So we have a twofold thing here, as far as divide and conquer. We have a society that is completely sold out, relativistic, postmodern in some aspects, and completely devoid of all morality, telling the Christian church that it's outdated, serves no purpose, and is basically in, just simply in the way of progress. And, of course, the church turns and looks at itself and says, what do we have to offer them? They have everything. They have all the the pleasure we could possibly want as, as a church and as a people. I mean, look how happy they seem, right? No, folks, these people are miserable. That's why they're bitter, resentful, nasty, sad human beings. And they have nothing to offer us. We have everything to offer them this fabric of society is completely torn because the church is not doing its job you see the gates of hell may not prevail against the church but folks some people are trying to let demons in the back door and those folks need to be seen for what they are and those folks need jesus because these wheat these weeds are being far more sown than the seeds and we need to deal with them and we need to deal with them quickly now and as far as the satanic aspect let's read a little bit from our good friend here uh, David uh, Fiorazzo's book on canceling Christianity and he has a good chapter here and I believe it's on um, page four and five and I'm going to read it to you really quickly and he says this Barna recently said that Americans are oblivious to the real civil war ravaging the nation. When we disagree about foundational issues such as God as creator, gender, male and female, marriage, family, and the personhood and sanctity of preborn lives and mothers' wombs, where can, we, <clears throat> where can we go from here? Or, excuse me, where can you go from there? Moral relevantism and cultural chaos reports on last year's findings confirm a tragic trend. Of all Americans surveyed in general, 58% agreed that, quote, identifying moral truth is up to each individual. That means relevantism, folks. There are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time, unquote. One-third or 32% disagreed, and one out of ten adults said that they do not know. The typical, quote, the typical American believes truth is what I say it is, and no one can tell me otherwise, unquote. The center mourns, uh, quote, Americans believe that right and wrong can only be discerned by each individual based upon their feelings and circumstances, and that what is right for one person might be wrong for another. But each must have the freedom to make those choices without eternal, or excuse me, external judgment. In other words, they don't want to be judged for the decisions and choices that they make, uh, i.e. homosexuality, um, uh, false beliefs, etc., right? And so what we end up with here, folks, goes on to explain, Note the emphasis on our feelings. No absolutes, no judgment. It depends on, quote, the person. There is nothing new under the sun, and the rapid decline we are seeing shouldn't surprise us. It is just so disappointing for those who know Jesus' uh, Jesus history and the kind of country this used to be. Jesus once responded to a question by saying, no one is good except God alone. So if we want a good country, we must be a people who love him and live by his laws. I believe we once did. You've probably heard the following quote most often attributed to historian Alexis de Tocqueville, 1805-1859. To As he visited the U.S. to find the reason for our national success, he looked everywhere. But, quote, de Tocqueville says here, Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits of flame With righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great." True Christianity breeds strong families, and the Word of God boldly proclaimed in righteousness leads to a moral, stable, prosperous culture. We need to relearn this powerful point. Our nation is only as strong as its churches and spiritual leaders. Tragically, our country is suffering, and our goodness has been decaying. Last fall, I attended a pastor's conference in Dallas, Texas. I had grown weary fighting the good fight and at times felt somewhat alone. I was trying to be a watchman on the wall at a time when church church had been deemed non-essential and was going along with the pandemic charade. The, con, uh, the conference... Was put on by Liberty pastors and was called "quote America at the Crossroads: A 9/11 Call to Prior, uh, excuse me, the Patriot Pastors." Unquote. It was exactly what I needed. Since that time, I have been blessed to get to interview many of those pastors and speakers on a path podcast called Stand Up for the Truth, which is David Fiorasso's podcast. I highly recommend it. I was encouraged to know there is a growing movement of godly men committed to sound doctrine, building the church, and to speaking the truth. They understand why we need to equip the saints while refusing to be silent about cultural evil. And folks, that is what we need. We need a revival of Christians living and pursuing Christian identity. No more charades, no more playing games, folks. The devil plays for keeps. He is out to divide and conquer. We know that there are, are that there is wheat sown among <clears throat> sown among the church and sown within the church to cause uh, tears and that we need or excuse me, there tears <laughs> sown among the wheat excuse me um, and that we need to deal with these terrors but the Lord will deal with them in, in the long run but in as far as concerning the way that we identify as Christians we need to no longer identify with these tears but we rather need to identify with Jesus the church has an identity crisis right now. And unfortunately, it's been given um, more and more further resolve by the blessing, unfortunately, of the masses. And folks, I don't know about you, but I am tired of seeing this charade. Folks, we know the gospel truth. We know the absolute and final authority of the Word of God. We need to quit playing games. And we need to get back to the Word of God in prayer. We need to pray for a Bible, um, whether the Lord uh, tarries or not. And we need to be faithful in the little things, that we might be faithful in much. But the country is suffering, folks. It is suffering. Because like Joe Biden said, unfortunately, the spirit of this country truly is at stake. And, folks, the demonic work behind Joe Biden understands that. Why doesn't the church... Our country is at war with itself. The church needs to put up, and it needs to quit shutting up. And we need to get back to the absolute truth of the Word of God, and we need to be faithful in in holding fast to the Word of God. We need to pray, 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 pray for revival, and we need to be busy about our Father's business and evangelizing. No more games, folks. This is what's on the line. If you're tired of seeing... Um, all the sin going on around you, if you're tired of seeing all the stuff that's going on in this country, you need to get back to the word of God. You need to get back to prayer and you need to get back to being faithful and evangelizing at the end of the day. We're the salt and light and the sin of the country is at our doorsteps as the church because we know better. We know what the word of God says about those things. And the only reason darkness can befall a country is when the light's gone out, and the only reason decay can happen is when the salt is being trodden under men's footsteps. And so we need, as a church, brothers and sisters, to pray. To pray that God sends revival, but most importantly, let it begin with us. All right, that's for his namesake, folks. I hope you've been blessed and encouraged and exhorted and um please like and share uh this podcast if you've been blessed by it and please check out the patreon and if you feel led by the lord to uh, bless this ministry so that we can get some uh, much needed uh, equipment a laptop and some other things going on that would be great and we would just uh, we, we would yeah praise god um so thank you folks i hope you have a wonderful evening or morning or whenever you're listening to this and uh, i just appreciate all of you who listen and uh, share, and uh, may the Lord bless you abundantly in all that money can buy. Until next time, God bless.